MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. Today, Trump sues New York Attorney General Tish James. Stop the Steel organizer Ali Alexander confirms to the J6 committee he spoke with Republican lawmakers ahead of the Capitol attack. Donald Trump is increasingly agitated by those House Select Committee investigations. Joe Manchin claims West Virginians would spend the child tax credit money on drugs. And the Postal Service reaches a settlement with the NAACP on mail ballot delays. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Andrew Torres. Andrew, thank you so much for being here and filling in for Dana. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I could not fill in for Dana, but, you know, I will I will substitute to the uh, best of my meager abilities. Well, I appreciate you uh, being on today. Uh, everyone, in case you don't know, Andrew Torres, real life lawyer, co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast and also Clean Up on Aisle 45. Um, so, Andrew, big show. Later on today, <laughs> I'm going to be talking with the congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell, about his exclusive story uh, about Trump's increasing desperation. Uh, and, uh, of course, a, a couple of breaking things uh, that have just happened. Uh, we've got a letter now from the January 6th committee to current Pennsylvania Republican Representative Scott Perry mm-hmm. for information about what he knows about his text to Meadows to try to oust Jeffrey Clark or no, excuse me, oust uh, uh, acting attorney general Rosen and install Jeffrey Clark. So that that should be interesting to see how that goes. I'm going to talk to Hugo a little bit about that later. And Andrew, the White House has a new puppy. <laughs> That's by far the most important news that that anyone can have. Cute little puppy. It's the um, cutest news for not sure. Not to, you know, distract from Joe Manchin or being at 42 and a half percent in the polls or what have you. I did it, it look. Um Things don't look great right now if if you're a Democrat, right? Uh, you've got Joe Manchin played, you know, Lucy with uh, Hold the Football for, I don't know, six months. Uh, and finally, he came out yesterday and said, uh, well, you know, I'm not going to vote for the Build Back Better bill. And it's like, well, then why did we spend, you know, this amount of time catering to your whims? Um, you know, so that looks bad. We're probably headed into the Christmas break without a uh, legislative accomplishment uh, on the Democratic side of the register. Um, and remember that, like, that's what feeds into the Republican playbook, right? The Republican playbook is break stuff, which makes their base happy. Then when you vote them out of office and you vote in the the old white dude who's like, hey, man, I'm a grown up and I can fix things. Uh, you sit back on the sidelines and I'm like, really, you can fix things? Then you do everything in your power to make them not be able to fix things. And then in the midterm elections, you run on. Remember how they promised you how they would fix things? Guess they can't do that. Um, And then, you you know, you shower, rinse, repeat. So this is we're in stage 1.5 of the classic Republican playbook. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And that's kind of why I want to sort of keep talking about the fact that in the last 50 years, 
Uh, Biden ranks number one in GDP growth, number one in profit growth, number two in jobs created, number two in productivity growth, uh, number one in judges nominated, uh, number two in the last 50 years for judges confirmed, um, number two in productivity, number two in stock market global performance, although we know the stock market is not the economy, number two in dollar appreciation. So there's a lot of things that have gone right, but it's when these individual things go wrong that it can really bring down everything else. So I'm just trying to push these other messages of good stuff that's been accomplished. And who knows, Andrew? I mean, it's early in the week, and Trump's absolute bat shit, I know there's no such thing as bat shit, <laughs> bat guano uh, reactions uh, to, to seemingly nothing uh, this, this past five days or so, I think are very telling. Or what might be about to come down. I agree entirely. <laughs> and I think we'll be breaking those down. Yeah, we'll be talking about those for sure. And speaking of that, let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, former President Donald Trump is suing New York Attorney General Letitia James in a hilarious bid to thwart her <laughs> ongoing investigations into his business practices. The suit filed by Trump attorney Alina Haba on Monday in federal court in upstate New York, because he's afraid of downstate New York, argues that James's history of anti-Trump statements and her Democratic Party ties have prompted a series of baseless probes into Trump. Unjustified. She knowingly and without uh, any reason is doing this. Um, and not just Trump, but his business as well and his family members. The case accuses James of violating the civil rights of Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. The suit seeks injunctions requiring the attorney general to, quote, immediately cease or at a minimum appropriately limit all ongoing investigations and prohibiting her from taking part in any civil criminal or criminal action against Trump or his business complex, which is funny. It just reminds me of when he tried to lim cease and or limit the scope of the Mueller investigation. But when he did that, <laughs> that was obstruction of justice. Uh, and Andrew, you and I are going to be going over this lawsuit in depth on tomorrow's episode of cleanup on L45. Yeah, this lawsuit is amazing. And we're going to be using, you know, the the patented uh, read the lawsuit backwards method that mm -hmm. uh, I have used on your show, on my show, on our on our show. Uh, lots of stuff to discuss about it. But um, for purposes of the hot notes, uh, I would say um, not I the the level of quality you have come to expect from somebody who's willing to take a check from Donald Trump. And uh, next up in the news, Holly Alexander, the conservative activist behind the Stop the Steal movement, recently told congressional investigators that he had communicated with several House Republican lawmakers ahead of the January 6th rally and the Capitol riot, along with at least one member of the Trump family's inner circle. Alexander disclosed his communications and the relevant materials that he turned over to the January 6th House Select Committee in a new lawsuit challenging the panel from obtaining his phone records from Verizon. And uh, if that sounds familiar, that that should sound familiar. That's been the strategy that a bunch of these folks that uh, the 1-6 committee has subpoenaed uh, have attempted to, to execute. So Ali Alexander had challenged the grounds for obtaining his cell phone communication saying in the complaint that the data is not pertinent to the investigation uh, and sweeps up, and this is a new one, I, I gotta tell you, uh, privileged communications between Alexander and clergy, Alexander and people he spiritually counsels 
and Alexander and his respective <laughs> attorneys. So is this how we all went out that like member in college when we all got ordained as ministers in the church of the subgenius? <laughs> is that like, sort of what this is? A fenord on, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, it, 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 so, you know, I mean, <laughs> we, we saw this in uh, John Eastman's lawsuit, which we broke down in some detail on, on opening arguments. Um, John Eastman, uh, off the rails law professor, uh, the, you know, the person who authored the uh, handbook playbook for the insurrection on, on, on one six, um, and argues, we, you know, I, I do have clients, so, you know, you can't subpoena me and, and look, federal courts do give you, I mean, we saw this with the Michael Cohen raid, right? Like federal courts do give you some leeway if you are a practicing attorney, because you don't want to violate attorney client privilege. You don't want to violate, um, long-standing important privileges under law uh, this smacks of a level of desperation that's uh that, that's pretty pathetic so well not only that but they don't <laughs> get the content of the discussions yeah, they I, only get the time stamps i did all you know the answer to any of that is fine turn it over to the court right like you know let somebody you want to stick somebody else in the chain to review these documents to make sure they're not privileged, whatever. We don't care, right? It's not a reason not to produce them. So according to the complaint, Alexander testified to the committee on December 9th that he, quote, had a few phone conversations with Representative Paul Gosar, uh, Republican of Arizona. I, this one I love. Potentially texted Mo Brooks, the <laughs> subject of multiple lawsuits himself, uh, he's a Republican from Alabama and spoke in person to Representative Andy Biggs, also from Arizona. You know these folks, right? Mm -hmm. All three of these Republican lawmakers were involved in the efforts to challenge uh, the electoral results without any substantial legal justification on January 6th. They all participated in meetings at the White House and on Capitol Hill on the subject. They are all suspected to have been in the war room to help enact the big lie. So Yeah, and I would think, Andrew, it's totally and perfectly normal for, I mean, it's it's within the rights of any congressperson to object to the results of the certification. But when you go beyond that to try to stop it, impede it, obstruct it, uh, attack it, um, <laughs> steal the envelopes, I mean, then, then we start, then, you know, planning uh, things like that, that we start to get into a little bit uh, uh, different, uh, situations with, you know, when you talk about totality of evidence, because like I said, it shouldn't be wrong for if a bunch of Democrats wanted to meet with some Democrats in the White House and talk about whether or not they're going to object to results of a Republican election that may or may not have been stolen by Russia. Uh, they have the right to do that. They have every right in the world to object to those uh, electoral votes. Yeah. So my mind immediately goes to the 2000 election, right, mm -hmm. in which Every piece of available evidence is that Al Gore won that election, right? And the, the, the problem is, under the Electoral Count Act, after Bush v. Gore and after Al Gore decided that he was going to accept the uh, highly irregular and partisan results of the Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore, we were now past the safe harbor deadline. Um, Florida had not certified an alternate slate of electors. And Al Gore was in the Mike Pence role, right, on the, the, the equivalent. It might have been January the 6th, but it was 
uh, you know, within a few days of that in uh, in 2001, right? In, and you cannot imagine, right? Because Al Gore was not a criminal. Uh, it, you cannot imagine Al Gore looking at it and just unilaterally deciding uh, on that morning to be like, well, you know what? I'm not going to certify the uh, electors from the state of Florida. Although the evidence not to certify the Florida electors was way stronger than any piece of evidence that any Republican has offered with respect to any state in in connection with the 2020 elections. Right. So it's just, um, you know, it is, it is the, the, the collapse of, uh, of democracy and, um, you know, it's obvious kind of what's going on anyway. Um, Back to the story. Sorry, I meandered a little bit there. But <laughs> Mo Brooks, our friend uh, from Alabama, released Saturday night uh, what he said was the text that he received from Ali Alexander, who only said that he may be sent in. But anyway, hmm. uh, showing Ali Alexander introducing himself on December 16th, 2020, calling January 6th a big moment for our republic. And Brooks said, that, and you got to love this one, he didn't recognize the number at the time, and he called the contents benign anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Alexander spoke over the phone with, you will remember her as Rita Repulsa from the 2020 RNC convention, Kimberly Guilfoyle, that is Donald Trump Jr.'s partner and a Trump campaign fundraiser, and told investigators it was a short and pleasant conversation about the Georgia Senate runoffs and Republican primaries in 2022 according to uh, Ali's complaint. Mm, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, in case you needed another person with the word Alex in their name, <laughs> suing the committee, conspiracy theorist and right-wing provocateur Alex Jones says he will not comply with the demands of the committee investigating January 6th. Uh, and uh, he, he, the lawsuit that he has filed, he, he filed it on Monday, uh, he's seeking to block the subpoenas and claim Jones should be protected under the First Amendment and that he will also decline to answer questions so as not to incriminate himself. How'd that First Amendment argument go for him in the Sandy Hook case? <laughs> Great. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same lawyer. Uh, the committee has called Jones to testify on January 10th, according to the lawsuit. Jones' attempt to drag the House investigation into courts follows other legal challenges from witnesses and congressional investigators have pursued, including Mark Meadows, Ali mm -hmm. Alexander... Um, I, we have Eastman, Stone, I mean, everybody's suing, right? Uh, and although Jones' aims in, in his suit are much broader than theirs. So, I, I mean, how many lawsuits <laughs> is that, Andrew? <laughs> it's hard to count, right? You have Alex Jones, you have Mark Meadows, you have uh, John Eastman, you have Ali Alexander, right? They're, they're all suing the 1-6 committee and their cell phone provider, which I believe in every case is Verizon. And, and and that's really the game, right, is I, I, I've had to do the same thing. When, when you serve a third-party subpoena on a cell phone provider and you say, I want you to turn over X record, the company says, look, we, we have a privacy arrangement with our, with our clients, and um, we're going to need to see a valid court order to turn those over. In these cases... The, the, the response has been flipped, right? Because it's Congress saying, um, we would like this information. And what Verizon has said to each and every one of its customers is, yeah, we're going to turn this over by X date unless there is 
some sort of judicial process that 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 stops this from happening. Um, with everybody else, so with with Meadows um, and uh, and Alex Jones, at minimum, we know that they've engaged in the process. It is entirely possible that John Eastman's lawsuit was so bad <laughs> that they uh, that that Verizon has nevertheless turned over the information, which would be delightful. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, look, like you know, this is this is the game plan that they're that they're following. We we know how it works. Anyway, finally, God, I, I hate that I have to do this story, right? After months of haggling with President Joe Biden and other Democrats, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia dashed his party's hopes on Sunday by announcing that he would not vote for the Build Back Better legislation publicly. Um, his biggest gripes are about the cost of the bill, but privately, Manchin has told colleagues that um, essentially he doesn't trust low-income people to spend government money wisely, which, you know, is an echo of all of the worst tropes we heard during the Reagan administration. So in recent months, Manchin has told several of his fellow Democrats that he thought parents would waste monthly child tax credit payments. Those tax credit payments, which, by the way, have reduced child poverty by 30% in the past year, uh, on drugs instead of providing for their children. <laughs> According to two sources familiar with the senator's comments, like pharmaceuticals they can't afford, uh, or like, no. yeah, no, that was that was not where Manchin was going. He was uh, trying to invoke a particular boogeyman. Yeah. It, it it really, I mean, the smacks of the you know welfare queens driving Cadillacs rhetoric, um, and and it should not be lost. Yeah, I get it. Joe Manchin represents a state with you know, a diminishingly small number of African-American voters. But like that, the, the, the racism inherent in this statement is, is pretty clear. Anyway, continuing the child tax credit for another year is a core part of the Build Back Better legislation. It really is transformational, right? It is ongoing, regular payments to parents uh, for uh, that are means tested below about one hundred and seven thousand dollars. Uh, for who who have children, right? To to help them meet their their kids' needs, right? Um, and uh, that that policy, as as I uh, expressed to you earlier, right, has already reduced child poverty by thirty percent, right? Turns out, when you give people money to buy the things their kids need, they buy the things their kids need. Anyway. Manchin's private comments shocked several senators who saw it as an unfair assault on his own constituents and those struggling to raise children in poverty, which, you know, not an uncommon thing in West Virginia. Manchin has also told colleagues he believes that Americans would fraudulently use the proposed sick leave, paid sick leave policy, specifically, and this was just, A.G., I did bonkers to me, um, saying that they would... Uh, you know, feign being sick and go on the hunting trips. I, and that's a bad thing. I don't. It, it just seemed crazy to me. But anyway, Manchin told a West Virginia radio station today that he was never going to vote for the bill and now uh, has has shifted blame to White House staff for his refusal to vote for it. Um, and he said that his, his uh, previously reported private $1.8 trillion offer to Biden actually excluded the child tax credit. Um, the child tax credit is part of it. it it's really clever. It, it's part of Biden's kind of key strategy to 
transform uh, the economy and introduce uh, these these heavily means tested direct benefit programs uh, without um, uh, in in a way to 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 move forward in you know kind of a post COVID economy. Um, so it's unlikely that that would have ever been a a plausible. Um, uh, counter response. Anyway, despite Manchin's assertion that the Build Back Better plan would hurt the economy, you gotta love this one. Goldman Sachs trimmed its quarterly GDP forecast for 2022 after Manchin decided to tank the legislation. So let's go to Goldman Sachs. Quote, we had already expected a negative fiscal impulse for 2022 as a result of the fading support from COVID relief legislation enacted in 2020 and 2021. And without the Build Back Better enactment, this fiscal impulse will become somewhat more negative than we had expected. That, that's from Goldman Sachs analyst Jan Hatzius uh, in a note on Sunday. So uh, Hatzius uh, lowered the uh, Goldman Sachs GDP forecast for the first quarter of 2022 uh, from 3% to 2%. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, cut the second quarter outlook uh, to 3% from 3.5%, and the third quarter forecast uh, by half a point from 3% to 2.75%. Oh, yeah, quarter point. Yeah, yeah, good job, Joe. And uh, already they're they're tagging it, the, the mansion slowdown. Yeah. And this will be pinned on him. I, I think maybe he'll come back to get it done. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's everything's sort of up in the air. Now, you know, I tweeted a while back, uh, back in September, I was like, you know what, I say the progressives just keep up there under the bargain, vote on the bipartisan infrastructure deal, and then force Manchin and Cinema to vote no on this thing and see what happens to them. I, and I, here we I, are. I think, that's, I think that's right. And I think if you ask me to get inside the twisted little weasel brain of Joe Manchin, if he comes out as a hard yes for Build Back Better... Then all of the attention shifts to Kirsten Cinema, right? Because mm-hmm. she then has the sole power to hold it or tank it in her hands. And I think by doing this, you know, look, he's successfully grabbed headlines for, you know, the past three days and continuing on into Christmas. And, I, it, you know, if you're trying to run again in a uh, Trump plus 37 state where you're going to have to run probably against Trump himself, uh, you know, at the at the head of the ticket, uh, you're you're looking to craft some kind of argument uh, to 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 your constituents. I I don't see how you do it. I mean, I look at the 2020 elections, and you know, outside inexplicably of Susan Collins holding on in Maine, um, there are no split ticket examples, and there are no examples of Democrats winning in states that that Biden lost. So yeah. well, you know. I, I've put out a message and a, and a tweet saying that uh, Biden should call the other West Virginia senator, Republican Capito, up to the White House and say, can we get you to vote for this? You would win every election in West Virginia going forward. <laughs> uh, you think. <laughs> um, one quick story before we uh, switch subjects here. U.S. Postal Service announced Friday it reached a settlement in a lawsuit filed last year by the NAACP over mail delays and their effect on election ballots. In the settlement, the Postal Service agreed to take extraordinary measures to deliver ballots for the 2022 midterm elections. (laughs) Uh, The agency said it would publicly post mail-in ballot guidance no later than February 1st for federal primary elections and October 1st for general elections. And the post office agreed to pay uh, or agreed to post the guidance through 2028. 
Um, the Postal Service also agreed to provide weekly reports on service performance. So that's that's what's going on with that right now. Um, and that is the settlement agreement that they have reached. Next up, Donald is getting desperate. And <laughs> Leon's getting larger, right? I'll discuss an exclusive by Hugo Lowell at The Guardian uh, after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. If you're looking for a delicious, healthy snack that is also satisfying, I have a great recommendation. It's Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars. They taste amazing. They contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free and grain-free. They're plant-based and non-GMO. They don't have any soy or trans fats or sugar alcohols, and they don't have any high-intensity sweeteners either. And you don't have to be keto to love them. They're just good, healthy snacks. I've been trying to eat better, and Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped me so much because they're a great, healthy snack that actually fills you up and satisfies you. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, blueberry almond vanilla, uh, my favorite right now this week, peanut butter. I love the chewy texture. It's so delicious. Try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, go to monkpack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, then enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And today's show is also brought to you by QB. How many hours do we spend inactive, staring at screens, TVs, computers, just sitting there? Well, now you can turn those inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and stay fit. That's what you can do with the new QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's a compact elliptical unit that fits easily under your desk or in front of your couch, and you can be pedaling your feet while you're sitting there staring at your screens. In fact, I'm using it right now, and you can't hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's also super easy on your joints. It's low impact. And a recent clinical study shows that it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say I would work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to do two things at once and burn calories while you're looking at the computer or watching TV. And you can stay active anytime, virtually anywhere. The QB is also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs something to help improve circulation and keep active, but is very low impact. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy, QB would be the perfect gift this holiday season. I love my QB. I know you will too. And you could take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial to turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy. And that's all with QB. So visit QB.com beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. I'm joined today by congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. Uh, welcome, Hugo. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to uh, get into some vacation after months of the select committee, but I'll make uh, one final exception for the pod. Thank you. And I honestly don't think you're going to be able to do that in the next couple of days <laughs> because we just got some breaking news about Scott Perry and the committee. But what I wanted to talk to you most about, you know, maybe we'll touch on that in a minute. But what I wanted to talk to you most about was this exclusive that you got uh, this morning about behind the scenes Donald being very agitated about what's going on uh, with the one six committee. And we also know he's parallel or congruently agitated with the New York Attorney General as he filed a lawsuit against her today. But uh, what did you find out about his reactions and what he's saying behind the scenes about what's happening with the committee? Yeah, so I mean, lots of agitation in uh, Trump world, but um, specifically with the the select committee, 
there are, there is basically a laundry list of complaints from Trump and it's really affecting him in I think profound ways so just generally I think he's really perturbed by the number of aides who have cooperated with the committee right early on we reported that Trump wanted his aides to just defy the subpoenas completely he wanted them to follow in the footsteps of Bannon and he wanted them to just say, I'm not going to cooperate at all. You can hold me in contempt and we will just let the courts fight it out. And this was what he hoped and this is what he expected his aides to do. Of course, he's no longer president and he doesn't hold the sway that he once did. And and I think the effect of this is people like Mark Meadows trying to figure out how he's not going to get referred to the Justice Department. I mean, of course he was ultimately, but in, in trying to figure out a way around it and please everyone, he did share some materials with the select committee and this really annoyed Trump. Um, he, he was really annoyed, not only that he shared so much material with the select committee, such as, you know, his text messages and emails, but that he shared it on top of the fact that he already made public all these really unflattering details about Trump when he had COVID. So I think this is the overarching theme. The other thing that he's been very upset about is the negative coverage and the fact that Kevin McCarthy failed to put any Republicans on the panel to defend him, right? This is his big thing. He likes to he, well, he doesn't like to, but he looks at cable news coverage and he bemoans the fact that no one is defending him. And so it's all kind of leading up, leading up to a head. And the, uh, basically the story goes into um, his, his agitation. Yeah, he, he, he's very, very upset. And, and we've seen this in recent days, too, like um, and more than usual, I'll say, uh, with a statement that he put out um, recently that I think you mentioned in the article. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think there's there's a couple of points, right? There there is this general complaint with his aides cooperating, and he hates that, and he hates his aides invoking the Fifth Amendment. He thinks it makes them look weak, and that they're complicit in a crime, which has the potential effect of making him look complicit in a crime because they're his aides. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is much more so than in previous investigations, Trump has become very attuned to the potential legal peril that he's in whether it's with the national archives because you know all the he's, he's lost all these court cases about making white house records public to the select committee uh but also because you know even though he says he did nothing wrong in a way that he didn't think he was at risk in the special counsel investigation on the russia inquiry he knows that he was there on january 6 at the rally and that his words very you know, very obviously seem to affect the crowd. And so I think he's very attuned to that. And that is what we see manifested in the statements that he's been sending. And they've become more and more unhinged lately, right? I mean, at one point, it was just the unselect committee that he was railing against, but they're really becoming something else. I mean, there's a recent statement where he said, quote, the unselect committee itself is rigged and staff with never Trumpers and Republican enemies, two disgraced rhinos, Cheney and Kinsinger. And he really goes after Cheney and Kinsinger this is kind of Trump venting and it's taken on a new uh, importance, I think. Now, were you able to find out at all if Trump had actually contacted Meadows after he found out he released those documents to the committee and, and tried to stop him from cooperating? Or, or we, is that still like uh, stuff we don't know and would, that's just in the speculation column? I don't know. And we may never know because um, – I can actually break news for the first time and say the select committee has not been investigating, even though this is what they think, they have not been investigating whether Trump committed some sort of obstruction or, or witness intimidation with Meadows and got him to stop cooperating. 
I mean, this is what members on the committee suspect, but they're so uh, burdened with all of the other uh, stuff they have to sift through and all of the evidence that they've gathered that this is not an actual open investigation that the committee is undertaking. Uh, so short of the Justice Department picking it up, uh, I don't know if we, if we will find out. It may come out. Meadows may, may admit it himself or Trump may, may say it himself. I mean, these guys are very good at uh, imperiling themselves in legal knots. So. Yeah, so they're m looking more at the uh, obstruction of the official proceeding being the certification Correct. of the electoral Correct. votes. Yeah. All right, I got just a couple more questions for you, but I need to take a quick break. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. I am a huge proponent of thinking globally and acting locally, as you know. To me, you get the best quality locally, like how farm-to-table restaurants give diners a special, unique experience while supporting communities and workers in the process. American Giant is the epitome of acting locally. They go beyond made in America and forge lasting relationships with local manufacturers and workers and communities. And they do that to obsess over every single detail of their clothing at every step of production. That's how they made their classic flagship full zip hoodie, which went on to be called the greatest hoodie ever made, and I concur. And as their product line has grown well beyond that first best-selling hoodie, their core commitment to revolutionizing your everyday wardrobe has not changed. I love the quality of American Giant apparel. Their clothes are durable. The fabric feels soft and comfortable. It looks good. Their locally made clothing is, is not only beautiful, but it's better for both the wearer and the people in the communities impacted at every step. Explore American Giant's collection of durable essentials at American-Giant.com. And you can get 20% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's show is also brought to you by Evite. If there's one thing that I've learned is that life is better together. And with the holidays here, I'm looking forward to celebrating with my very close friends and family. Uh, I'm inviting friends and family to my place this year to celebrate the holidays, just the one household. And I really want this year to be extra special. So I'm not going to call or text. I'm using Evite. Evite offers thousands of free invitation options, all fully customizable for your occasion. Birthdays, weddings, baby showers, holiday parties, whatever you're celebrating, no matter how big or small, you can choose a design created by their community of professional, amazing artists or upload your own design. Uh, Evite's design templates make it easy and fun and simple to create an invitation. So everything you're celebrating is extra special. It takes just a few minutes to create and send invitations to everyone on your guest list. And this is the best part. RSVP tracking is included. And Evite makes it super easy to link a registry or a gift exchange or a gift list if you want to do that as well. And best of all, it's free. I use Evite for all my important, meaningful get-togethers, especially on the holidays or birthday parties. I can use one of their designs, or like I said, I can upload my own. It's fast and easy and fun from start to finish. Evite is helping make my celebrations feel extra special, and they can help you too. So head over to evite.com beans to choose from thousands of designs and options to create and send invitations for free. That's evite, E-V-I-T-E dot -E com slash beans, evite.com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with congressional reporter from The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. Uh, Hugo, um, a couple quick questions for you as we're getting this sort of breaking news about the committee uh, sending a letter to Representative Scott Perry. First, so far, the first member of Congress that we know of that the committee is publicly reaching out to for information. Is this a subpoena or is this a voluntary request for information? Yeah, really interesting, right? They didn't subpoena Scott Perry. They sent out a, a voluntary request for information. And this is interesting. We've been wondering if they're going to go straight for subpoenas. Uh, it would be really aggressive and it would have invited war. I guess they don't want to go straight into that. Uh, so they have made this overture. And, and, you know, this is them trying to say, you know, in good faith, we just want you to cooperate so we can 
establish the facts of the matter. Uh, we're not going to, you know, refer you to the Justice Department from if you, if you refuse to comply. But clearly, you know, everyone knows that subpoenas are on the table. But certainly, I think this is the first step. And they're trying to extend an olive branch saying, you know, is there any way you're our fellow member of Congress? Is there any way we can uh, agree on some sort of cooperation? And you tell us what you are communicating with um, and about through your signal app. Uh, with former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. So I think this is a really interesting uh, play by the committee. Now, when they first reached out to Mark Meadows, did they start with a subpoena with Meadows or did they go up the ladder with a voluntary request at first? Uh, They went straight with a subpoena. And I know this because I broke the news. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I figured you would know it. No, they they really went after these Trump guys really aggressively. Um, But I think, you know, there is strategy at play here, right? They know that these that the that the former administration guys were not likely to cooperate, but they could just issue subpoenas because they were no longer part of the government. They were not, they're not part of the executive branch, not part of the legislative branch. With the members of Congress, they I think the committee has to tread very very carefully. If they start issuing subpoenas, it will be all-out war, uh, not just with the committee, but with the House Republican Conference and Pelosi and and, and Democrats in Congress. It will it will cripple Congress because McCarthy and the House Freedom Caucus and the members who are subpoenaed will make sure that happens. They will, you know, they're very, very good at using procedure to derail legislation or as much as they can. And I think the committee wants to avoid that. And they're trying to, like I said, trying to extend an olive branch. So I think this is where things are at. They don't want to go straight in like they did with Meadows. Yeah, and that's the distinction, right? They're still part of the government. And not only do they not want to start an all-out war, but I assume that when you're subpoenaing members of the current uh, government, you might need to put a, you might need to pave a little longer road of due process, you know, because everyone was like, oh, why do you keep doing this dance with Meadows? You keep bending over backwards for him. And it's so that when you get to court, you can say, hey, we gave him every chance. Uh, and I think that even more so with current members of, of the elected officials, you probably even have to bend over a little further backwards to to make sure that you do everything in good faith to get the information that you needed before you can even think and or dream about uh, contempt charges, right? Yeah, and, and I think there's also been a, a recognition at the committee level that just going and issuing subpoenas and then if they don't comply, holding them in contempt has not always been the best strategy because yes, they get referred to the Justice Department, yes, they get indicted, and yes, they might see you know jail time or fines, but... The committee's not really interested in that, right? I mean, ultimately, what the committee really wants is their cooperation. And what became apparent, as you kind of mentioned, with Meadows and Clark was, well, if they saw a path to cooperation, they were prepared to hold off contempt in order to get there. And what they don't want is contempt vote after contempt vote after contempt vote piling up into next year and this taking up a lot of time and, you know, seeing court dates pushed into July, August. And so... I think there is a recognition here that, you know, maybe if we engage with Scott Perry in a good faith agreement, if we engage him in a very conciliatory manner, then maybe he's more inclined to help us and get us what we need. I think that's the ultimate goal here. Yeah, and I think that probably the information he could provide um, would would be very valuable, and you want to take every step that you can to get that, like you to get that information, as you say. Um, whereas with the recalcitrant witnesses, 
you know, it's it's like fine criminal contempt. But that you know, the, I think that the whole point of contempt isn't to send them to jail for thirty days. It's to it's to either use it as leverage to compel them to assist you or, you know, to to issue the indictment to chill others from being recalcitrant witnesses. Yeah, and I think I think that's right. And and just one additional point I'd I'd make is just as I was reading this, this obviously broke as uh, we started speaking, um, <laughs> is that it's interesting that they want to ask Scott Perry about Meadows' communications. And of course, this is because while they might have Meadows' communications themselves already, you know, what he might have provided, Meadows is not testifying or, you know, talking about these. So really, the only other way they can do this is to go from either, you know, either there were two parties in the conversation, right? Meadows and Scott Perry. So if they can't get Meadows, then they kind of need to get Scott Perry. And I think this is a uh, this is manifested here, right? They, the, the, the letter uh, asked Perry to talk about his communications with Meadows about Trump trying to install uh, Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general. Yeah, and, and same same thing goes for Clark, too. I mean, he, he was a combatant at first, uh, but then he was sick, and then he was sick again. And so presumably, if you can't get the information about Clark and Perry, you need to go, and you can't get it from Clark, you got to go to Perry. So I think he's kind of... Uh, the you know the the plan b for all the for a lot of these witnesses that they might not be able to get or have had trouble getting yeah and i think it'd be interesting to see how perry plays this let you know we, we can kind of game it out a little bit right let's say he says okay fine you know i don't really care about meadows i'm happy to send you you know what i talked about with meadows about jeff clark because i don't think they're particularly incriminating and you know i can i can give give you the context behind it and maybe that's just how it goes you know maybe perry decides that rather than kicking up a fight over something that's innocuous, let, you know, for instance, if it was innocuous, then he might just cooperate. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, these, these House Freedom Caucus members, I think are more inclined to want to make a circus out of this. And my guess is that he will start tweeting and he will go to Kevin McCarthy and, you know, tell them, tell, tell the GOP leader to denounce this, this request and that it will be spun as, you know, Democrats investigating uh, Republicans, um, so I anticipate there to be roadblocks in the way, but the way that Perry co cooperates or doesn't cooperate will be watched very closely by the other members of Congress who were involved in January 6th. All right. Well, thank you. And and knowing that this show won't drop for about 12 hours from right now, do you have any other breaking news or anything else you can tell us that uh, might be coming out later today or what we might be able to expect uh, before everybody goes home for the holiday break? Um, I guess you'll just have to read The Guardian. <laughs> good, good plug. Good drop. <laughs> Thank you. <Ash. laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, any other uh, just uh, general basic public knowledge about what the this one six committee is planning on doing between now and the end of the week? Uh, so I, I gather they may have more depositions this week, but it's all going to be behind closed doors, right? Jeffrey Clark was supposed to testify last week uh, to the committee, and but then he obviously had his delay, and there's not been a new publicly available date for his testimony or for his deposition. So uh, the word on the street is. Maybe Clark comes in this week when Congress is out, things are quiet. He kind of slips in and testifies. Um, but who knows? Uh, his, his illness keeps precluding him from cooperating mysteriously. So uh, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, that's interesting, con considering the last time they tried criminal contempt and lost with Rita Laval. Right. She was sick. 
<laughs> that's why she didn't appear. So um, it's interesting. Interesting. Uh, but again, he might be sick and apologies to his family and others and we, you know, et cetera, if, if that's the case. But uh, we hope that they will get um, his information and as much information as they can as they need to move forward and get this out to the public, particularly in the face of potential weeks of public hearings, as they say, early next year. That's exactly right. Uh, well, I don't have any more news at the moment, but uh, you, you know that I will, I will I will let you know the moment I do. You're my hero. Thanks very much. Hugo Lowell from The Guardian. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This portion of the show is brought to you by Scribd. You know and I know the struggle to find the right book or magazine or podcast is real. There's endless amounts of content out there, and I regularly spend as much time looking for my next book as I do actually reading it. But not anymore, thanks to Scribd. With Scribd, you can get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, court documents, dissertations, magazines, and more, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've already read. That makes choosing your next book that much easier. And it's all for one low monthly subscription. There's no hidden fees, there's no credits that can expire. It's the ultimate reading subscription service that lets you explore all your interests in any format you choose for just $9.99 a month. I love using Scribd. I get to discover must-read new work from celebrated authors premiering exclusively on Scribd. And when I want to change things up, I can switch between titles, genres, and formats at any time on my phone, tablet, computer, wherever I'm reading. And right now, we offer listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com ag for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash ag to get 60 days of Scribd for free. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite puzzle game ever, Best Fiends, you know it, I know it, I love it, I can't put it down. Uh, I love playing it during the holiday season especially. It's a perfect pick-me-up for when I need a break from the holiday action. Best Fiends is an entertaining and super fun distraction from stress. I consider it part of my daily self-care routine. Best Fiends has it all. Captivating storylines, beautiful visuals, stunning colors and design, the music, it's calming, collectible fiends, tons of fun puzzles to keep your brain engaged. I cannot put it down. I think it's the best puzzle game out there by far. And the best part, you don't even need Wi-Fi. You can play Best Fiends wherever and whenever you want with offline mode. So if your holiday travels take you off the beaten path, you can still play Best Fiends. It's my favorite mobile game because it's always interesting and challenging. I'm at level, like, it's over 4,000 now and climbing. And Best Fiends has thousands of levels. Uh, There will always be more for me and they add more all the time. So there's always a fresh challenge waiting when I need a mental pick-me-up. You can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And continuing to join me today, uh, and this time for the good <laughs> news, is Andrew Torres. Hello, Andrew. Woo! I like staying around. <laughs> so here we do. We just go back and forth reading the good news. Uh, I think I'm going to read the first two because the first one's pretty short. Uh, but if you have any good news you want to send in, everyone, you want to send, I'm take again, Halloween pictures all year. Uh, any holiday recipes, holiday photos, cats in trees, you know, whatever you need <laughs> to send in. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. First up, from Lisa Mia Moore. It's pronounced she and her. Happy Druid Buddha Santa Solstice to everyone at the beans. And then look, Aww, there's this great that Buddha is so Santa great. Solstice. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's kind of a Charlie Brown tree, but everyone loves a Charlie Brown tree. Right? It's so. perfect. I love the little top. It looks like kind of like a palm tree. 
Um, next up from Chris in Portland, pronoun she and her. Here's some good news. Our trivia team for all the beans is composed of Daily Beans listeners and some friends. A couple weekends ago, we tried to we tried the Sporkle trivia hunt game, set up kind of like a Google scavenger hunt. Ten questions with 60 minutes to answer. Our team came in second place overall and first in our division. Here's a, here's a sample question. One of the four U.S. presidents who never had a vice president find the one who served the fewest days in office. What movie was number one at the U.S. box office the weekend immediately following the release of the presidential $1 coin bearing the president's likeness? <laughs> <laughs> Answer, Shutter Island. Discovery Path, Millard Fillmore, February 18th, 2010, Shutter Island. <laughs> For I... pod pet tax, here are a few candid photos of Moosey doing his Moosey best. Warning, cat butt. <laughs> oh, and, and Moosey is a very, very cute cat. Uh, I have to tell you that that chain of uh, logic there is uh, is well nigh impenetrable. I, I could not have come up with Millard Fillmore as the... Um, because uh, I always, I always felt like he took over soon in. Like you're definitely looking for a 19th century president. Anyway, mm. uh, this is from Anna. Anna says, "Hey, Dr. Allison, Dana, Amy, and all the rest. Um, hi, Anna. <laughs> Good news. I turned 50 this weekend. Gone. Congratulations. And was having a wonderful celebration with family and close friends on Saturday night. No, that's not the good news. That is good news, but." The good news is that my fiancé and I got married on Saturday morning with only one friend and my three adult children present. We made the announcement as a surprise <laughs> at the party on Saturday night. Wait, no, wait. Now, how could you make the announcement that night? And uh, All right. Okay, so you got married in the morning and then was like, surprise, we're married. Okay, very cool. My lovely party turned into an incredible celebration with such spontaneous joy. We don't have any pets, and my love doesn't want photos of him on social media for good reasons. Uh, good, fair. Hmm. So I include a photo from the ceremony where you really can't see our faces. Um, and I can tell you there's a lovely skyline in the background. This is just a fantastic venue here uh, overlooking the water. Uh, and uh, congratulations to uh, Anna. Yeah, awesome. Good job. And yeah, that's kind of a surprise. Yeah, a little um, bit. <laughs> a surprise so Good much news, if you just scroll everyone. up and look at that last picture of Moose, that's the face I would make right there. <laughs> 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 Next up from Phil, pronouns he, they. Hello, Beans Queens. Three years ago, I left my hometown in rural New England and my job of 11 years to move to Montreal, Quebec. At 34 years mm. old, I decided it was time for a change and enrolled as an undergrad and applied for a student visa. It's been a rough road with more than half of my classes going online due to COVID. But this morning, I clicked submit on my last final of my last semester. Thanks to choosing the gender neutral option on my graduation application, I'll be receiving my baccalaureate in accounting this spring. And I have a great job lined up that will help me apply for permanent immigration. Thank you for doing what you do. Your podcast, along with OA and the Piat guys, Woo. helped me stay sane through the pandemic. As tax, I'm including a picture of Sophie. She quote-unquote hired me seven years ago. Remember, cats don't have owners. They have staff. And drove up here with me when I moved. She also helped me stay sane through the lockdown. Do you have to get a job and a green card for the cat? I'm not sure. I'm looking <laughs> forward to starting a new chapter with my degree and my new job. Phil, that's amazing. And this cat is rad. <laughs> Look at the baby. That's a Cindy Crawford cat. That's what... The, that's what the, oh, that's a big... But anyway... 
black and white, uh, Cindy Crawford-esque. That's that's so much more flattering. Uh, mole on the, uh, or, or black patch on the white. Um, beautiful. And congratulations, Phil. And thank you for the kind words. I'm, I'm glad I was here to, uh, to be there for that. All right, now we have the Beans Court. This is from John, pronouns he, him. John says, I recently got into solving cryptograms. You know, my son, Alex, loves cryptograms. So super cool. Just to pass the time, I found this book in a local store and didn't think twice about buying it. And why would you? It just says large print cryptograms, 500 puzzles, right? Uh, Just a few pages in, the cryptograms took a sharp turn to pro-life propaganda. (laughs) See attached pictures. Question for the Beans course, is it legal for someone to trick me into donating to their shitty cause? There are zero <laughs> clues on this book as to the author or publisher. I'm pretty pissed. And so the cryptograms, right, the idea on a cryptogram is that you replace uh, all the letters with a, a different letter, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, O is B and H is T and, mm-hmm. you know, X is W, that sort of thing. And you have to figure out the puzzle, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a thing that... Uh, I suck at, but my son's really great at. So anyway, um, the first one is the quote. And, and what, what the hell kind of quote is this that says pro-lifers believe that there are two victims in abortion, the unborn child and the woman who felt that was her best option. Go fuck yourself. Uh, and then the next one is nothing can prepare a young woman for the lifetime of pain and loss that comes from abortion. Uh, and followed uh, literally same one, same you know, next next one down on the same page. It seems to me as clear as daylight that abortion would be a crime. Um, yeah, no, I I am uh, happy to rule here in Beans Court that uh, that a a book that descends immediately into hard right propaganda is uh, given to you as a. Uh, it, absolutely uh, under false pretenses. Um, and uh, you want you want somebody to represent you in your lawsuit against large print cryptograms? Uh, I'm I'm your man. I'm not not sure how far we're gonna get, but everybody deserves to know. Like, man, don't don't buy like large print cryptograms, five hundred large print puzzles. Uh, no idea if this is still in in uh, in in print or not, but uh, this is some this is some fucking bullshit here, and uh, I'm totally with you, John. Yeah, it kind of gives new meaning to the word cryptogram. Oh, <laughs> honestly, I went. I read four minutes of that segment without coming up with that one. So, <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, uh, John. Uh, we don't really have a ruling here. We have a lawyer more than a judge. Normally, uh, Andrew, we have Judge Amy Carrero on on Fridays, and um, uh, oh, I, you I know. know. So, so I'm I you know without any clues. Uh, best I can do is say to write into your favorite podcast about it. <laughs> and you've already done that. So, uh, All right. Again, if you have anything you want to submit for good news this week or next week, let us know by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Andrew, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? No, I just want to wish everybody some good news of their own over the holidays. And uh, uh, we'll be we'll be reading your stories with uh, with interest. And, uh, yes, absolutely. You'll be back tomorrow with me, I believe. I can't wait. All right. We'll see you then. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.